Okay. Uh, this morning we are, as I said, continuing our series, Your Cross Changes Everything. Um, we've turned the chorus of a song into a four-week sermon series. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at a cross that changes everything. Uh, we spent our time thinking about Romans chapter 7 and just the amazing difference that Jesus makes to us, that, that God's gift to us is all of grace. It's not based upon our own effort or achievements. It's based upon God's goodness his faithfulness uh, towards us. Then last week, TJ looked at a love that sets the captives free. Um, we were thinking about Luke chapter 4 and how Jesus proclaimed this truth and how we are free from any sin. We are free from, from difficulties and hardships in the sense that we have opportunity in these moments to put our faith and trust in Jesus. We can experience true freedom when our lives are centred upon him. Uh, this morning, uh, we are taking our time to unpack a hope that resurrected me. A hope that resurrected me. And we're going to be looking together at First Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 8. Uh, so let's take a moment this morning to read this passage together as a church family. Uh, I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen. Um, again, if you want a paper copy, TJ's just walking towards the shelf here. Um, if you want a physical paper copy, he'll give you one. Just raise your hand. Um, and we can do that for you. We're providing an excellent service here. So, um, Peter writes these words uh, for us. So, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is focus on verses 3 to 5 of this passage. It was helpful for us just to look at verses 6 to 9 just to provide some kind of context. But verses 3 to 5 are what we're going to look at. And through the, these verses we see the connection between hope and the resurrection. Um, hope is at the very heart of what Peter is getting at within this passage. He's making this crystal clear point. It is all about hope. Hope is a noun. It's a thing. A desire that we have for something to happen. We all hope for different things in our lives. And in that sense, hope is also a verb. It's something we do. We hope in different situations and in different seasons of life. We hope for something to happen. When the Bible talks about hope, more often than not, the Bible is talking about the resurrection. Hope and the resurrection are deeply connected together. Uh, hope in the Bible points us to the fact that this life is a comma. It is not a full stop. There are so many situations and experiences in life that can define us or have the potential to define us. 
But as we think about hope, as we think about the resurrection, God through his word wants us to see that that this life really is a comma. It is not the end. God will have the last word. All of the difficulties and trials that we face in this life will one day cease, will one day come to an end. One day we will spend eternity with Jesus in his presence if we have faith and trust in him. If our hope is in Jesus and in the power of the resurrection, then we can say with absolute confidence, I'm not defined by my life, by what I've been through in my life, what has happened in the past, what is happening right now, what will happen in the future. I'm not defined by any of us. I'm defined by what Jesus has done for me through the cross. It really does change everything. The cross really does make a difference to us. Through his resurrection, I'm given hope. His resurrection becomes my resurrection. This is the essence of what we're looking at through this passage this morning. So do we honestly see and do we honestly understand and know all that has been given to us through Jesus? The power of hope in light of the reality of the resurrection. Hope is a beautiful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. Emil Brunner says this about hope. What oxygen is for the lungs such as hope for the meaning of human life. What oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of human life. Hope is a great definer, the great distinguisher between what people do, say, think and feel. Um, you put a hopeful person and a hopeless person together, facing the same set of circumstances, and the outcome will so often be different. One will believe that something positive will come out of what what it is that we're facing. And more often than not, it's not a guarantee, but more often than not, something positive will come out of that because of the hope that this person carries. And the other person who is hopeless will have no drive, they'll have no desire, no energy, and so the situation will just stay the same. Hope makes a real difference. It really changes a situation. How we react to what it is that we face in our lives. Hope carries power. It's not some force. It's who we put our hope in. If we put our hope in Jesus and all that he has done for us, then we will see differences, we will see changes within our life. So I want to say today, there really is hope for you through Jesus, through his resurrection. Jesus and his resurrection are really the essence of what hope is all about. Hope is a belief that this life will not be the end, that things will get better. And I say all of us this morning, recognising that we stand, we live in the midst of so much hopelessness. Uh, We can forget putting our hope in politics. Uh, Brexit reiterates something, that there is no hope in politics, that we will not find the answers to life's questions through public policy. We can forget putting our hope in a job or a career. You know, people just go through the motions with their jobs, just Monday to Friday, nine to five, and they end up experiencing this deep sense of hopelessness within their lives. Glasgow comedian Lemmy uh, talks about the hopelessness of our lives in a sketch about swings uh, in a park. And he talks about how when you turn 12 years old, Immediately you're told to grow up, get off the swing, stop acting like a kid. And he says this, 
There's me half a swing. There's me fitting in. What have you got for me now then? I'm 12 years old. What have you got for me now to replace that swing with? I'll tell you what you've got. Nothing. Nothing. Fags, booze, drugs. Nothing. So what have you got to replace that swing with? I'll tell you what you've got. Work. That's all you've got. Work. Monday to Friday, work. Next Monday to Friday, mere work. You go away on some holiday to forget about your work, but then I've, come, I've got to come back and catch up with all my work. Work, 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 work. No wonder everyone's depressed. No wonder everybody hates their life. It's so true. Uh, let me touch on something so real in our culture. Our rat race cycle is one of work, weekends, work, weekends, work, weekends, work, weekends. And that means we end up living for our holidays. And then our holidays come to an end and then we realise, oh, I need to go back to work. It's one of the most horrible feelings. At the end of your holiday, realising the next day, I'm going back to my work. And it's just this vicious cycle. And it's a cycle of hopelessness. There's no meaning to it. None of it carries any meaning whatsoever. And it's not just those in employment. You just have to walk through Duke Street and see people and just see their lives are characterised by hopelessness. I've shared this before, but people are, are so dependent upon drugs, upon alcohol, upon gambling. There's just this deep sense of hopelessness. I would invite you to do that. Just walk through Duke Street and just look at the people you encounter. People feel hopeless because people are hopeless. Even look at the world of celebrity and see how well people are doing. I don't know if you've seen the figures for the number of celebrities battling addiction and depression. Are you aware of the number of suicides among celebrities recently? You look at a TV show like Love Island. So one of the most popular shows of 2018. And I've never seen it. I don't know what happens in it. All I know is that these contestants are what many of our young people aspire to. And in the last year, three of the contestants con connected with the show have taken their own life. So this image you project, when it doesn't go the way that you expect, then something's got to give. You'll end up experiencing hopelessness. One commentator in the independent newspaper observed this about our image-driven culture as it relates to celebrity and social media. And he said this, anxiety amongst young adults has reached epidemic proportions and as the pursuit of online perfection increases daily, so commensurately does the niggling doubt that real life isn't matching up to our dreams. This is where the allure of a reality show comes in. This could potentially be your magic golden Willy Wonka ticket to Lamborghini land, although in reality you'll be lucky to get more than a Skoda out of it. The Old Testament writer Solomon got it right when he said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Makes the heart feel hopeless. I'm here to say this morning that hopelessness is an absolute epidemic within our culture. But I'm also here to say that Jesus offers a better way. Jesus offers us a life of hope. The entirety of who we are should be characterised by hope and how we and what we say and what we do and how we respond to different situations. My encouragement to you this morning is put your hope in Jesus. He is the only one who is worthy of our hope.
Everything else will fall to the side and mean absolutely nothing. To truly understand this, we need to spend some time camping out on verse 3 of our passage. And may we see this deep, deep connection between our hope, the resurrection, Jesus and our future. So Peter writes in verse 3 of our passage, and it will be up on the screen as well. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So to understand hope, before we get to that place of hope, I do believe from this passage we need to understand three of our key words. It's almost like we're taking this path to hope and we need to understand three of our key words that we might fully grasp all that God has to say to us, that we might have a mature and deep and significant understanding as to what hope is all about. And the first word I want to invite you to look at, to reflect upon, is mercy. Mercy. And it'll be up on the screen uh, for us. So mercy is one of those words uh, that's found throughout the Bible. The most commonly used word for mercy in the Old Testament is cheked, which literally means kindness or loving kindness. So you want to understand what mercy is then operate your understanding around that phrase. Two words which sometimes become one word. Loving kindness. We actually sang about it this morning. You'll find it difficult to get a better definition of mercy. A kindness that's motivated, rooted, driven by love. Loving kindness. And in the New Testament, a key word for mercy is eleos. Eleos. Which again has direct reference to kindness. Or to showing kindness. So mercy is something that God shows us. God displays his loving kindness into our lives. But mercy is also something that we can do in our lives. We can show mercy towards other people. People can say and do things in our life that we disagree with or that hurt us. And we can show mercy towards them. God shows us his mercy in very clear and powerful ways. The God we worship is a God of mercy and he calls us to therefore be merciful. So let me share with you five key points about mercy. Just really as a foundation for us, before we get to hope, we need this foundation of mercy in our lives. So five key points about mercy and God. Uh, Number one, mercy is an essential quality of God. It's an essential, it really characterizes who he is. Ephesians 2 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. So, but God changes the whole direction of that chapter. And it points us to the fact that God in his mercy then displayed his love towards us. So, mercy is an essential quality of God. Number two, it's associated with forgiveness. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1 16. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So Paul says, I received mercy, and because of this mercy in my life, I know God's forgiveness. I can live a life that is centred on Jesus. His mercy results in God forgiving me. So number two, it's associated with forgiveness. Number three, it's directly linked to forbearance. 
forbearance. That's an old-fashioned word. It simply means being patient, carrying self-control. Psalm 145, verse 8, we read, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. So to be merciful is to be patient, to be slow to angry, to, to be slow to anger, to be great in faithful love. Number four, mercy is infinite. So God's mercy doesn't end at some point. It's not like a finite resource. God just consistently and constantly displays his mercy towards each one of us. Psalm 86 and verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So again, it's just reiterating Psalm 145. There's just this constant flow of mercy into our lives. And number five, finally, it's something we directly ask God for when we pray. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Do you do that? Do you ask God for mercy? in your life so clear in Hebrews 4 this is one of the key prayer passages in the Bible God says to come to his throne with boldness and to ask for mercy do you wake up in the morning and ask God grant me mercy today help me in all that I face show me favour bless me in this situation or that situation do you ask God for mercy it's one of the primary ways in which we pray we spent time thinking about mercy because it's important. Mercy really acts as a foundation. To have hope in Jesus is to stand on a foundation of, of mercy. Mercy precedes hope and hope causes us to sing of God's mercy. If we stand on mercy and we understand mercy, then we will carry hope in our lives and this will cause us to sing of God's, oops, this will cause us to sing of God's mercy. The two are directly linked. The two are deeply connected. Charles Wesley wrote this well-known hymn, Depth of Mercy. And the, the words go like this. Depth of mercy, can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear? Me, the chief of sinners, spare. I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face. Would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. I have spilt his precious blood, trampled on the Son of God, filled with pangs unspeakable, I who yet am not in hell. I, my master, have denied, I afresh have crucified, and profaned his hallowed name, put him to an open shame. Whence to me this waste of love, ask my advocate above, see the cause in Jesus' face, now before the throne of grace. We stand before the throne of grace and we come with boldness and we ask God for mercy and we experience hope. We believe that God has something better for us. And this brings us onto our next key word, which is contained within our passage in 1 Peter. The word is not directly used, but we see it referred to when Peter speaks of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter here is speaking of Jesus' death on the cross. So the next word after mercy is cross. Cross. 
So the mercy of God is translated in a very tangible way through the cross. We see God's mercy through his death for each one of us. We understand God's mercy by understanding the cross. Romans 5.8 is such an essential verse for us as we try to come to terms with what God's mercy looks like. Paul writes, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our default setting today is sinner. We have all broken the standard that God has set for us. We have all rebelled against God. We have all made an open declaration of war against God. Deep down, we want to be separate from God. We want to be independent from God. This is the essence of sinner. We don't believe that God is enough for us in our lives. But God shows his own love. He shows his own mercy for us by dying on the cross for our sins. We deserved God's wrath and God's judgment because of this open declaration of war against God. And God, in his mercy, sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. His death means that we can have life. Jesus steps in through God's mercy, dies in our place. Through his death, we can have life and life in all its fullness. And it's not something that we can boast about. We can't say that, that we achieved a relationship with God. It is all of God's grace. Jesus died for us and Jesus rescued each one of us through the work of his Holy Spirit. When you realise that Jesus' death is a gift, it's an absolute gift. None of us can take any credit for it. Then you can't help but be thankful. You can't help but respond and worship to God. Thanksgiving will flow out of you when you see the evidence of God's mercy as demonstrated through the cross. Do we believe this? Do we truly believe God's mercy as demonstrated through his cross means that we can have life and that leads to thanksgiving, praise and worship. One of the things I've been doing uh, for the last few months every Monday morning is to get up early and do my devotions, my quiet time in McDonald's. So I go to McDonald's about 6 o'clock, about 6.30 and I like the idea of starting my week with God, just spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. But I also like the idea of having a McDonald's on a Monday morning. So I have a McDonald's breakfast and it's, it's great, I love it, I enjoy it. But also just most importantly, having that time uh, being in God's presence and knowing uh, that God is going ahead of me throughout the week. God is going to lead me in every situation and every day that is contained within that week. And as I've been going for a McDonald's breakfast every Monday morning, and let me say it's a healthy McDonald's breakfast, it's not like one of these really unhealthy ones, uh, I've been working really hard getting that little sticker off the side of the cup. I don't know if you know the coffee cups you get, you get a wee sticker. You get a loyalty card, you can put the sticker on the, on the card. You can collect six stickers and then get a free cup of coffee or a free cup of tea. Now, I've been working really hard getting these wee stickers. I got four, a few months ago, I was in four stickers. Um, and I was kind of anticipating, okay, a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to get that golden free cup of tea. Can't wait. As I was making my order, I couldn't remember the name of that potato thing you get at breakfast. And I said to the, the person, I, I can't remember, what's that potato thing? And there was a guy standing beside me, 
and he kind of laughed and he said, it's a hash brown, mate. So I said, thanks very much. Sorry, it's a Monday morning. Um, so I made my order, collected my order, walked towards my table, and the guy who gave me that helpful advice walked up to my tray and gave me five completed loyalty cards with all the stickers on them um, and just smiled and then walked away. And so I just said to him, thanks very much, mate. I was really shocked, quite surprised, taken aback by it, but I just said thank you. And then I sat down. He was sitting a couple of tables down with his boys and I just kind of wanted to get his attention and just kind of say again, thanks, thanks very much. Um, but I couldn't do it. He, just, he was just kind of focusing on his breakfast and, and his boys. And then I realised it's just going to look a bit weird. I've already said thank you. I can't just keep saying thanks to him, you know, stick my thumbs up and sort of recognise again. But that's all I could do in that situation. All I could do in that moment was say thanks. I've got no, no idea why he did that. He just decided to bless me in that moment, to give me five free loyalty cards that were completed. Religion is like you working really hard to get that free cup of tea. You know, just being meticulous, being faithful, putting all your energy to getting those stickers. But a relationship with Jesus is when you receive an abundance. And all you can do in that moment is say thank you. All you can say to Jesus is thank you for saving me. Thank you for the gift that you have given to me. You know, when we work really hard and we try and achieve for God, then it doesn't become about God. It becomes about us. Our focus is on ourselves. But when we realise that God has given us this gift, then our eyes are fixed upon him. We give him all the glory. We praise him for who he is and what he has done for us. And all we can do is get his attention and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So the cross changes everything. And the cross leads to the resurrection, which is the, the final word before hope. Resurrection. And know what Peter writes next in our verse. Uh, this is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we get to hope through the resurrection. We experience hope through his resurrection. But our, our hope is also in the resurrection. A hope that resurrected me. This ties in with a passage we've already looked at this morning. Ephesians 2, uh, starting in verse 4. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, Paul says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are raised with Christ. Death has no grip on us. Death has no hold on us. There is no sting when it comes to death. We are raised with Christ. When we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and our hope is in his resurrection promise, then there's real security in that. We can confidently hold on to the fact that we will worship our resurrected Saviour forever. We will be resurrected children of God. We will worship in a resurrected heaven and earth. It is all about Christ's resurrection and it's all in light of his death on the cross for us and all that happened after that. And this is what Peter alludes to in verses 4 to 5 of our passage. This hope is into an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, I can honestly say this morning, there is nothing more amazing than knowing that you will live for eternity with Jesus. There's nothing better than that. To know that you'll be in God's presence forever and ever and ever, worshipping Jesus in eternity. If you don't know what that's like, then I invite you to come forward and to give your life to him. As we take this time to worship, there's space here. Come forward and put your faith and trust in Christ. There's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus. One today, but also one for tomorrow and in the life to come. When you take hold of this hope, then it will impact your entire life. The church no longer becomes a place that you attend. The church becomes something that you're a part of. It becomes who you are. We are the church. We are a body. It's not just something that we attend on a Sunday or a Tuesday or at Missional Community. The church is a people. When you understand hope, then you understand what the church is all about. To have this hope means you belong to a local church, which is in effect a community of hope. Because who we are and what we do is or ought to be in some way a brochure for eternity. We're like an arrow pointing towards heaven and saying this is what life in Christ will one day look like. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're just giving people a foretaste, a flavour of what God has planned for us. You know, we had this 48-hour prayer time during the week and it was just great for us to gather together at different points to seek God's face, to pray. We had our prayer night. We have our prayer night regularly on a Tuesday night. We have our missional communities. And all of these are really an outward expression of hope. We are saying to God in these moments as we gather together, God, we hope for something better than this. We believe that you're going to make a real difference within this community. And we believe that you're going to make a real difference beyond this life and into the life to come. You know, I say all of this out of deep love for each one of you. And I do believe that as we move forward, we must, it is absolutely essential for us to carry this hope, for us to look beyond the things that we attend at DBC or the things that we are a part of and to see the bigger picture. We pray together on Tuesday night because of hope. We believe that God has something amazing for us. We have missional communities because of hope. We meet here on a Sunday because of hope. The children meet in Sunday club because of hope. We believe that God has something so much better for us. You know, I can understand um, the sort of context that I'm saying this in. Many of us have have lived in a, a sort of Scottish church culture where for so many years it's been about just attending, attending, attending. But let's just get underneath all of that. Let's just understand the big why behind the what that we do if you carry that hope of resurrection if that hope is your vision for life and if you believe in all that God has done for you and all that God will do through you and through his resurrection then it really will change everything it really will bring about transformation your whole life will be centered around Jesus and his bride the church you know it's spiritually impossible to treat the church like one of many different things if you have God-centred hope within your life. The hope-filled Christian is a church-orientated Christian 
It is a believer who loves God and who loves people as we gather and as we scatter. So these are challenges for each one of us. As I said, if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, then do come forward, receive prayer, turn from your sin, turn to him during this time of worship. If we have faith in Christ this morning, there's opportunity for you to come to this table, to take this bread, to break the bread and to remember Christ's body that was given for you. And as you take that bread, to then dip it into the cup and to remember Christ's blood that was shed for each one of us. Through his sacrifice, we have life and life in all its fullness. And there's nothing more important than that. So let me pray and then we're going to respond through this time of worship. Let's pray together. Lord, we really do love you and we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, that this is all an abundant gift towards us. We don't need to strive and, and to work hard to make you love us. You already love us. While we were still sinners, you died for us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that, that salvation would be here today, that you would be speaking to us, that you would be convicting us, and Lord, that you would bring about real change in our hearts so that we are more faithful to you. Lord, if we know and love you, I pray that this would be a real driver, a real uh, place in our lives where we pursue you wholeheartedly and we long to be a part of this church more and more and we seek your face in all that we say and do. And so, Lord, be glorified in our lives. Be at the centre of all that we do. And Lord, may we experience your presence and your power through this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.